Amen. Well, good morning. Sounds like it's raining a little bit. Good thing we're inside. Uh, hey, glad you're here and uh, excited to continue the series on pride today. And so um, if you think about where we've been, just a little recap of where we've been so far. We've been looking at the word pride and taking one word from each of those letters. We started in the middle uh, with I, and we looked at how pride ultimately is an I issue um, it's an issue with, that's within myself. And we talked about how the root of pride is insecurity. Then we looked at the, the P and talked about pretending and how that insecurity uh, causes us to build that shell around our life that is really um, uh, built out of pretense, out of something that's not real. And so we put this shell around our life and we begin to act like someone that we're not. Uh, we talked about hypocrisy and how that's pretending to be something we're not. We looked at that and how um, hypocrisy is not imperfection. It's being imperfect, but claiming to be perfect uh, is pretending to be something that we're not. Today, we're going to be looking at the R. And we're, what that's going to reference is running. And we're going to look at how pride causes us to run from God rather than to run to God. And so to start with that, let's... Uh, Open our Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. This is where we're going to be today. And in this passage, Jesus is coming down the mountain from this Mount of Transfiguration, this moment where um, three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, see him transfigured. He's coming down the mountain. There's a large crowd gathered. And what's taking place is this man has brought his son, who is demon-possessed, to see Jesus. But Jesus is up on the mountain, so his other disciples are trying to cast out this demon, but they're not successful. And so when they bring him to Christ, this is what Jesus says. This is in Mark chapter 9, verse 21. This won't be on the screen. If you don't have a, a Bible or it's not on your phone, just listen to these words. It says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Let's pray and we'll get in to it. Lord, we thank you for your word and its truth. We thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I pray that our awareness of you here in our midst would become greater. And Lord, here we are in many ways, like this father, saying, Lord, have pity on us. Have mercy on us. Lord, we need your grace. We need your ability in us to do for us 
what we cannot do for ourselves. God, today I pray you'll work in our hearts in mighty, mighty ways. Lord, I thank you that you exchange beauty for ashes. That you exchange sorrow for joy. That you exchange despair for hope. And Lord, I ask you today to do that in our hearts. That we could lift our eyes towards you and remember, and remember, Lord, where our help comes from. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you can relate to this father? Um, maybe not so much being a father uh, of a demon-possessed son, but you can relate to this father from the statement that he makes, right? He makes this statement. I believe, help my unbelief. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever had a doubt in your mind? We, we doubt things all the time. Uh, we might doubt someone's intentions. We might doubt something they tell us. But if we're honest, how many of us have ever had a doubt when it came to God, when it came to our faith? Anybody ever have a doubt? We're not supposed to doubt, right? Isn't that kind of the thing is kind of comes along with hypocrisy, right? That we're supposed to have it together we're supposed to just believe and never have a doubt never have a question that's kind of the, the 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 vibe we get from church a lot of times but the reality is every single person in here even if you are a saved believer there's been something in your life that has brought doubt into your faith you you, you began to wonder um, something about your faith that, that there was some sort of doubt um, maybe a seed of doubt that got planted there and we begin to wonder and question, um, is God really who he says he is? Will God really do what he says he'll do? Is his grace really sufficient? And we face things like that. And maybe right now you're kind of on the mountaintop and you're feeling pretty good about things. Uh, but don't forget about the time you were in the valley and you began to wonder and question, Right? Don't look down on someone who right now may be in the valley and they're wrestling with their faith. The Bible even tells us that we should have compassion and mercy on those who doubt. So let's not think that because we might be in a good place that we're better than someone else who's wrestling right now, who's holding on right now with everything that they have. Because I know this, every single one of us have been in the place of this man. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And we've looked in this series at how the root of pride is insecurity. Security, insecurity and pride causes us to build that shell of pretension. But if the root of pride is insecurity, the root of insecurity is doubt. We begin to doubt not just doubting ourselves or doubting others, but at times beginning to doubt God. We, we can come to this place where we begin to doubt God and it causes some insecurity in us. The problem is that doubt causes us to oftentimes run away from God and not to Him. It makes us become dependent on ourselves, not more dependent on God. And so I look at it and I begin to think this way. If I can't fully trust God, if I'm unsure about God, 
then I better take this into my own hands. And the moment I become independent of God, I have moved away from God. You and I were created not to be independent beings, but to be dependent beings on God. And so he calls us to live in this dependency. But if the enemy can begin to get me to doubt him, then my first inclination is to step back and put my hands on it myself, to begin to take control of it myself. And that is a move away from God. And we see this a lot of times in our life. A simple example is in how we relate to other people. How many of you have a hard time delegating things to other people because in your mind you know they're not going to do it as good as I do it? Anybody? It's just easier for me to do it. If, if it's going to get done, it's going to get done. I'll just do it myself so we don't delegate things. I can remember when my children were smaller and we would be working down in our shop or doing something in the yard or trying to fix something. And, and I'm trying to teach them like how to do this. I'm like, okay, you know, cut it right here on this line. And then I'm watching them and I'm like, give me that, right? It, it's just... I'll just do it myself, like this is taking too long. And so we, we know that with other people. We, we, can, we know we do this with other people. The thing that I would challenge us with today is how much do we do that with God? When we begin to wonder and we begin to doubt, we have that tendency to just say, I'll do it myself. I'll just take care of this myself. And we see this with people in Scripture. Again, it causes us to run away from God. It causes us to be dependent on God. But it can also cause us to doubt God's purpose in our life. It can cause us to doubt his ability to fulfill that purpose in our life. A perfect example of this is if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, way back in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 10, the Israelites have begun to ask for a king. They've begun to ask for a king, and, and God tells them, I'll give you a king. But the thing is, you're not going to like it. And so they ask for a king. God gives them a man by the name of Saul. And Saul is a great-looking guy. He's taller and bigger than everybody else. He's the type of person you would look at, and you would say, yes, we want him to lead us. He just had that kind of look about him. But listen to what happens in the moment that they are bringing Saul to be um, declared king, to be coronated as the king, a celebration in honor of the king of Israel. It says in verse 20 of chapter 10 in 1 Samuel, when Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan and Matries, yeah, something like that, Matri, Matris. You don't know either, so don't judge me. Their clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. Listen to this. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out, and as, they, as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than all the others. Samuel said to all the people, 
Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Now, how would you like this, right? You have finally gotten the person who was going to lead you. But when they bring him out to announce it, to make this official, and they're saying, this is the guy who's going to be king. He's going to give us pictures. This is going to be incredible. And then he's hiding in the luggage. King Saul hiding in the luggage. And this was King Saul's issue for his entire life. He could never see himself as the man God had called him to be. He was so insecure. God gave him King David. Ultimately, David would become the king in the place of Saul. He gives him David. David would have been the best right-hand man anybody could have ever had. But Saul's insecurities drove him to try to kill David on multiple occasions because he was so insecure. He couldn't stand the thought of people liking David more than him. And ultimately, this doubting God and, and doubting the ability of God to do what he had called him to do, doubting who he was in God, the be, doubting being the person that God had called him to be, ultimately led Saul to forfeit all of the potential he had as the king of Israel, and his life ends with him falling on his own sword. How tragic is that? It wasn't like he tripped and fell. No, he like literally meant to fall on his own sword, committed suicide. How tragic. But how many of us are forfeiting our potential right now? We're not fulfilling everything that God would have for us to fulfill. And in some way, we're going to go to the end of our life and have some what if. What if I had believed God and stepped into what he called me to do? What if I believed God and trusted that I am who he says I am in Christ? What if I lived my life in a way that, that demonstrated that I believe God in this? What if? What if? I, for one, I don't want to go to my grave with a what if. I'd rather try and fail than not try at all. And I want to encourage you in the same thing. Doubt robs our potential. It robbed King Saul, and it'll rob us as well. Another one that we see this happen with is this rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. You probably know this story if you've been around church. This rich young man comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, listen, this is what you need to do. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud anybody, honor your mother and father. The young man responds, he says, all of these things I've kept since I was a boy. And then I love Mark's, Mark's um, account of this because in verse 21 it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's the only account that it says Jesus loved him. He wasn't trying to repel him he was trying to draw him near he says one thing you lack go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me 
At this, the man's face fell. And what did he do? He went away. He ran away. He went away sad because he had great wealth. See, this one didn't necessarily doubt his purpose. He didn't necessarily doubt who he was. He doubted that it would be worth it to follow Christ. Is the cost of following Jesus really worth it? Because, see, we're not saved because we go to church. We're not saved because uh, we even believe in God. The Bible tells us that even the devil believes in God and he shudders at the thought of it. We're saved because we follow Christ. We're saved because we surrendered our life to him as Lord and Savior. The question becomes, am I following And Jesus himself declared that before you say yes, you need to count the cost because there is a cost to follow. And am I willing to count the cost? Is it really worth it to deny myself and follow? Is it really? Have you ever wondered that in your mind? Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to live generous towards God's kingdom? I mean, think about it. Does it really make a difference if I give towards God's kingdom? Do I really store up treasure in heaven when I write that check? Do I really? Do I really store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy? Do I really? Is there really treasure waiting for me there? Is it really worth it to love on babies, to love on these children and kids, to love on my own kids and to share the gospel with them, to read scripture to them, to pray over them. Does it really do anything? Is it really worth it to serve other people in the church and outside the church? Is it really worth it to be uncomfortable and share my faith with others? Is it really worth it to be uncomfortable and step out and say, do you know Christ? Let me tell you about how Jesus has changed my life. Is it really worth it? Do people really die and go to hell? Is it really worth it to be uncomfortable for the kingdom? Is it really worth it to be in community with other believers? Is that really necessary or is that just something that they tell us because they want us to get in small groups? Is it really worth it? Do they really want something for me? and not from me? Do they really? Is it really worth it to love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength? Is it really to love others as myself? Is it really worth it to follow? Is the cost of following Jesus worth it? And we see this with this young man and every single person in this room at some point has wrestled with that question. And I hope you have, because Jesus tells us we need to. Is it worth following? Or is the cost too great? How about Judas? We look at Judas, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, this is after Judas has decided he would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And in verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, 
All the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to the pilot, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. Listen, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. How cold. That's your responsibility. So Jesus, Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. See, Judas couldn't stand the thought in the beginning that Jesus wasn't going to be this messianic savior who brought a physical kingdom to the earth. And so he agreed to betray Jesus. A lot of people believe that he agreed to betray Jesus so that Jesus would then rise up and do what Judas wanted him to do. But he realizes this and he betrays Jesus. But when he sees that Jesus is condemned, he realizes that what Jesus has been telling him all along, that I'm going to die and three days later I will rise. When he realizes what he's done, he sees with remorse. But all of this began by doubting Jesus' intentions, doubting Jesus' purpose. So he goes and he hangs himself because of the pain and the remorse of what he did. But I want to challenge you with this. There's another person in the Bible who right in these same parts of Scripture denied Jesus three times. He began to doubt Jesus' purposes and intentions. His name is Peter. But you know what? We still read about Peter after Jesus is dead and buried and resurrected and ascended. And Peter became the rock, right? This revelation he had. He wrote letters in the book of the Bible or books of the Bible. What was the difference? Peter was willing to repent. Whereas Judas lost all hope and ended it in a very final way. How many of us have doubted God's intentions and purpose? Because of that, we forfeited the life that God wants us to have. The last one I want to look at is Jonah. Book of Jonah. I want to read out of chapter 2. Most of you know about Jonah and the big fish. Don't call it a well. Some people will yell at you. But if you look at this, Jonah is thrown overboard. The seas are calm. But Jonah is sinking down into the water. And listen to this. It says, from inside the fish. God has sent this fish to rescue him. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight yet I will look again towards your holy temple. In other words, there will be a day when I pray towards your holy temple. I will turn my attention to you. 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See, Jonah too doubted God's purposes and intentions when he was told to go to Nineveh. He didn't like the Ninevites. He had a prejudice against the Ninevites and his prejudice, his preferences trumped God's purposes. And he's doubting God's intentions. He's doubting God's purposes. He's doubting God's goodness and what he really wants to do. And because of that, he finds himself sinking into the water and yet this fish comes by. He, he, he's saved. But it's interesting that Jonah tells us how far he sank. He says, I sank all the way down to the point where seaweed was wrapped about my head. I sank all the way down to the roots of the mountains. In other words, he was at the bottom. And there's something here that is really incredible. And I love this in verse 7. He says, when my life was ebbing away, when it was fading away and I was literally about to die, he says, I remembered you, Lord. He had sunk so far that it says that he was in this place called Sheol, the place of the dead. He had sank all the way. He's saying, I was at this place where I was about to join the dead. And he says, yet I remembered you, Lord. Now in Scripture, um, remembering has a little bit different meaning than what we think. When the Bible says God remembered so-and-so, it, it isn't like God was up there and he's just kind of doing his thing and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, Jonah's at the bottom of the ocean. No, no, no. When he remembers, it means that he acts on his promises. And in this, it says that Jonah remembered the Lord. What did Jonah do? He began to act on God's promises. He began to act on God's character. He began to act upon God's nature and all the things God said he is and will do. And God saved him. I want to tell you this morning, you're going to face doubts. Many of you right now are facing very real doubts, concerns, questions, and fears in your life. Point blank. The answer to doubt is to remember. The answer to doubt is to act on God's promises. Jonah was at the gates of Sheol, and Jonah remembered what it, what it means to declare the promises of God, to begin to worship in the midst of doubt. Doubt's overcome, listen, doubt is overcome by doubling down on God's promises and his character and his nature and refusing to continue to live double-minded. It's a stubborn resolve that the Spirit puts in us. And when I am weak, he is strong. And when I don't think I can keep going, his grace is sufficient. 
And there's something in me that rises up and says, God, I am hurting, I am tired, I'm even questioning, but I'm grabbing hold of you because I know you've grabbed hold of me. And even though the situation I'm in may be hard and it may be difficult and I may be scared to death and I may even be afraid to admit it, this is what I know, God. You are good and you're sovereign and you're faithful. And right now, despite my doubt, I'm gonna trust you, Lord. The other day I was at the gym and, and my heart was troubled. I was troubled over some concerns for some friends of mine with some health issues. I was troubled over some concerns with my own family and some health issues. And I'm just in the middle of a workout and all of a sudden it hits me and I realized I didn't just settle for the feeling of being troubled. I recognized it. I recognized right now my heart is severely troubled. And I stopped and in that moment, I realized if my heart is troubled, then I'm believing a lie. There is a lie that I'm believing somewhere. And Matthew 14, 1 came to mind. It just popped into my mind. And in I mean, John 14, 1. And in John 14, 1, Jesus said this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in that moment, I realized, Brandon, don't let your heart be troubled. Grab hold of the promises. And I wish I could say that it was just like joy, joy, you know, just everything just lifted. It didn't. But you know what I began to do is I began to think about God's promises. And through this season, one of the things that just keeps coming back to mind over and over and over and over again is a line from the song, Amazing Grace. And it says this, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And I want to encourage you today that we can claim those promises of God, that He will finish what He started. And that today you can declare those promises, and you can remember the character and nature of God. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, you can turn the what if into an even if, because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And even if God takes us from this earth, guess what? We live again. We come to this place to remember, to remember, to double down God's promises, to hold on, to cling to, to lean into. Psalm 46, 1 and 2 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The righteous run to him and are safe. Maybe today we need to come to that realization and we need to, to make a choice today. I'm not gonna run away from God. I'm gonna run to God because he is my strong fortress. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my ever-present help. And I'm doubling down on his promises. I'm gonna pray for us. And we're gonna sing one last song. And during this song, maybe you need to come up and be prayed for. Maybe today we need to Admit, there's been some things, there's been some doubt, there's been some fear. Look, it's okay. I want you to understand this. Doubt does not 
disqualify you. Doubt just discourages you. You aren't disqualified because you've had doubts. But I can tell you this, if you have doubts, then you're discouraged. But today we can remember God and we can come to him. Declaring who he is and his promises, his character and his nature. And I want to pray for us that we can do that. God, give us grace today. More grace, God. Let your spirit move in our hearts that we can declare your promises. That we would double down, God, on your character and nature. That we would lean into you, run to you. You are our refuge and strength, our hope. And God, today we run to you because you're good and you're sovereign and you're faithful and we can trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.